ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Phillips. And I'm the other guy, Trevor Chick. And on today's episode, we are talking about every movie, everywhere, all at once. What do I mean by that? Well, we have three different movies we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the movie of the, with the title that I just riffed on, which is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent with the one, the only, Nicolas Cage. Cage. And lastly, we're going to talk about The Northman. However, before we get to that, TJ, I need to know, how are you doing, my guy? Pretty good. Can't complain. Final season is almost over, so... That's right. It's Your finals are next week, correct? Yeah. Um, pretty much done with one of my classes already. Just studying for tests for the other, which is not going to be fun, but I'll fit in the movie. <laughs> fortunately for me, fortunately and unfortunately, I guess, I don't really take many finals tests because I'm an English major. So it's mostly <laughs> just essays that involve you know, involve dissecting a a author's work or you know comparing an author's work to her actual life, that sort of thing. Like a lot of analyzing for. In, in essay format, I guess you could say. So, yeah. But I don't have finals, obviously, for... I don't have finals. My finals aren't next week. They're the week after that. So, you got okay, early. Yeah, yeah. What a guy. Hell yeah. What a guy. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, I'm doing pretty good. I've been watching a lot of movies. We both have, as is evident by the fact that we are going to be talking about three movies that have recently come out in in one podcast episode. Yeah. I've been going hard on the, on the Longmire. I took a break, partially because I was super busy with school. But also, I kind of got a little... I wouldn't say sick, but I wanted to take a break from the, from the show. And then this sudden urge came about me, and I've watched <laughs> four episodes in the last two days. And they're and they're an hour long episodes, so you're 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 getting you're going through. It's <laughs> I'm going through. I'm on season, the final season, season six. Got through the first two episodes of of the final season. It's I gotta say, I mean, obviously this is not a Longmire podcast, although we need to do one. I'm just saying. I will say that Robert Taylor, I believe that's the actor that plays. Longmire, his acting is on point. He plays one of the most hard-headed sheriffs slash characters that I have ever seen, and ignorant at times sheriffs characters I've I've ever seen. He does it so well, and it kind of took me a little to catch on to it, but once I did, I my mind was just blown because. He isn't in. A, I haven't. He isn't in a lot of stuff besides Longmire. I mean, not a lot of popular stuff, I should say. And um, yeah, just to see his acting, it's it's great. It is really great and annoying. Any good TV <laughs> shows you've been watching, TJ? Uh, I haven't watched any TV in a while. Um, well, I watched. I, I watched like 
the first, I'd say, 40% of uh, season eight of Seinfeld. That's right. You're, still on, you're on Seinfeld still. Yeah, I took a long break. Not because like I, I needed one. It was just kind of like I didn't watch any. Yeah. Um, you're just busy with other things. Yeah. I, I, I just had the urge to watch other things. That's fair. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, I'd say about, I'm about 35, 40, somewhere percents in there. So, um, yeah, I uh, I mean, it's a fun season. Is it's season 8, season eight is that the last season? Uh, no, season 9 Season is. 9, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, I think season 8 is the first one without Larry David as a writer. Oh, yes, correct, because the last two seasons don't have Larry. Don't have him. Um, But I still think it still holds up pretty decently, I think. Um, I think in some parts it does feel a little different uh, because you have that kind of that, you don't have that Larry David edge. But at the same time, it's still still funny, and Mm -hmm. I can see why, like, when you turn on TV, it's probably going to be something from these two seasons. Like, I do I find like, that interesting. Yeah, I'm wondering if part of that has to do with the fact that Larry David humor isn't necessarily for everyone. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's definitely weird. I think I have. T- I think I mentioned this earlier, but like, I feel I found like the weird phenomenon of like, if you turn on Seinfeld on TV, it's probably eight or nine for the seasons. Unless, like, three through seven, which is, like, considered, like, the golden period. I guess it would be, like, kind of, like, if he turned on The Office and it was the last two seasons more than, like, literally every other season. Which season has the no suit for you? Seven. That's seven. So last season with Larry. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah, I... (laughs) Speaking speaking of Seinfeld, in I've already mentioned this to you, TJ, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast, but I have a professor who has verbatim said si- that Seinfeld is his religion; it's his Bible. And <laughs> it's amazing. The other day in class, we literally we watched. We're, we're in for our final essay. We're writing on a taboo word about a taboo word. And the clip he showed for Seinfeld wasn't necessarily a taboo word. It was the the episode where Jerry buys that Indian statue, that wood Indian statue in oh, the so shop. Good. And he's dating the Native American girl. He's taking her out on, on dates and stuff and trying to get to try trying to go out with her. And so the episode funny. ends with Kramer driving by in a taxi with the Indian statue and yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a funny episode. That one's so good. He's, I, I um, love when there's all the things that Jerry's trying to avoid saying because he doesn't want to <laughs> offend her anymore. I, there's the part where he goes, he's, he talks about how he got reservations at the restaurant and he's like, I got reserved. <laughs> and he, and just, he's trying to so figure out, Ways to say things without using the word that somewhat correlates to 
Native American things. So any, anyway, yeah, fun episode, fun, a great show. I th- I have deemed it my favorite sitcom at this point. I have rewatched certain episodes so many times, or just thrown one on randomly here and there, and I can't get over the fact that how much it relates just to life. I always quote and t- and talk about the the garage, the what am I what am I talking about the um. What do you call those things? I'm totally indoor garage. What do you call it? Um, I don't know. I don't know what bit you're trying to talk about. The one where they can't find their car in the oh, the parking garage. Parking garage. Why am I? I'm retarded. <laughs> <laughs> the parking garage episode. I I always quote that one because that is so relatable. Now, obviously, not to that extent, but not being able to find your car in a parking garage after. You tell yourself when you leave the car, okay, it's right here, it's on this level, it's in this location, and on and on multiple occasions, for me at least, I and my family, mostly me, all go back to where I think it is and it's not actually there because I forgot or thought it was this location, but it was actually this location, so I definitely related that episode, and I think that's one of the first episodes that I really enjoyed the most, that I started to enjoy pretty early on in the show. And oh, yeah, that's, a, that's a good one. It's it's a good one. And so it's episodes like that that make me believe and I'm that make me believe it is my favorite sitcom of all time. And definitely a top two of all time. Friends I think Friends you can still rotate those two. Friends and Seinfeld purely from the standpoint that Friends did so much for the sort of the the structure of a sitcom, specifically with characters more so, I guess you could say, with the three all essentially being able to have their own show but managing to work together and have their own flavor, that sort of thing. There hasn't been a sitcom, in my opinion at least, that has that has shown that. Not Seinfeld. I don't think Seinfeld could do that with their individual characters. Friends definitely could. But I think what Seinfeld has going for it is, again, just its relatability. And I think the... Humor in it has a, has aged better than Friends. I mean, I think it is more timeless, I guess I should say. Like, obviously yeah. Friends is still funny, but the jokes I find in Seinfeld are more timeless. I'd say the same. I, I, I've always found Seinfeld funnier. I, I mean, not to say that I don't find Friends funny, because I laughed my ass off countless times. Right. Um I guess, but I mean, I, I guess I also kind of grew up on Seinfeld humor, so mm-hmm. it also has like a soft spot for me, right? With like Kramer's over the top, like slapstickness every now and then, and like the kind of the, the more cynical kind of like humor, I like I like stuff like that. Kramer is my all-time favorite sitcom character. Honestly, he's so he's hilarious. He's, he's hilarious. He's Cosmo Kramer. He's Cosmo Kramer. The way his character commits to all these stupid ideas, it is hilarious. It's the, it's the definition of commit to the bit. It really is. It really is. <laughs> Have you seen the episode where he gets the Merv Griffin set and sets it up? No, I know that one's in the last season. Okay, that's the last season. That 
if I were to create a, if I were to curate five Kramer episodes that a person should watch, that would be one of them to, to introduce them to how much I love this character because he, it's a perfect example of him committing to to the bit. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he he treats the set and and it's so funny because Elaine or Jerry or George will pop on set. Because they're talking to Kramer, or one of them needs to talk to Jerry, something along those lines, and Kramer will treat the treat it the entire time as if there's an actual late night, you know, interview going on. So he'll randomly stare off into nowhere as if there was a camera present, and will shoo people off if they're not fitting what he is looking for in the segment. It is it is a prime example of of why I love the character so much. I I also – yeah, it's just – man, obviously this is not a Seinfeld episode. We will have one once you finish, TJ. I think it would be a perfect time for us to maybe go over our top five episodes and talk about the show. I think it would be perfect yeah. considering it's still uh, fresh in our minds. Yeah. I just checked in the last episode I watched was um, the one where uh, George goes to like the other company to go do the comeback for his uh, co-worker. Yep. And uh, there's the tennis pro in that one, and mm-hmm. the weird video store clerk. That one, that one's pretty good. That one is wasn't wasn't my all time favorite, but it was pretty good. I can't remember what Kramer does. Have you got to the episode where maybe this is a later one too, where Kramer <laughs> somehow is able to get that? I believe it's a NY NYU student for an internship. He manages to recruit him for. His idea of putting oil in yoga balls, what are essentially yoga balls, have you? No. Okay. Never mind. That one is oh. also an episode that oh, was rent free in my head. I'm interested. This sounds amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It is. It is truly amazing. All right. Without further ado, and without going on a whole Seinfeld rant, which we've kind of which we're going down the path of let's move to our first film of the podcast which is everything everywhere all at once tj you are higher on this film than i am so Mm -hmm. i am going to let you open us up with this discussion but first i'm going to talk about the plot very briefly and this is by the way this is all spoiler free for those that are wondering so everything everywhere all at once the unbearable weight of massive talent and the Northmen were all talking about it in a spoiler-free manner. If TJ or I mention a spoiler, we will slap ourselves as punishment. <laughs> oh, boy. The plot of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is essentially an aging Chinese immigrant played by Michelle Yeoh. She is the mother in this story. It gets involved um, in a essentially a plot to save her world. She ha- she is thrust into this situation where she has to save her world by going through all these other universes, these all these other characters. And in this process of trying to save her world, she is also trying to mend relationships with her daughter and her husband and I think her dad, well no, she has kind of she still has a good relationship with her dad, but mainly her husband and her daughter. It's definitely a wild, wild film. I don't know if I've seen a film 
nearly as at the last time I've seen a film this chaotic, it has been a while. If not, I don't know if I've ever seen a film this chaotic. But TJ, I don't I'm, think to, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. But TJ, I'm gonna let you open this discussion up. Why do you love this film so much? What what struck you with the, with this film? Um, I think just kind of to start off, I don't think there's any movie quite like it. I think the way it's able to mix like uh just over the top just out there humor and like just bits that should not work in a comedy movie like a comedy action mixing it with like a cool matrix style inception kind of concept while also being like this wholesome like family drama it's really cool i loved it um and I love the way it like draws inspiration from other movies, uh, especially towards the end. There's one scene in particular. Um, oh god, I can't remember the director's name, but it's, it's very much their style. Yeah, it, it's like, it's a it directing adds... duo. I know that. Oh no, no, no! I mean, they they kind of like pay homage. Oh, you're to, talking about to like, a different director. Like a 90, okay. Yeah, it's like a '90s director. Uh, he's, I think he's. Chinese, I, th- I think it's is it Wong Kar Wai? I think it is. Um, okay. like they 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 like structure a scene like like he would in a movie, and it it adds like this like layer of just like oh my god, it's awesome. Um, the action is absolutely insane. Uh, the acting so it's so good. I loved um the guy short round from indiana jones yes i have that in my notes it's so cool to see him back on the screen yeah um it's crazy to think that he kind of disappeared from like acting for like 20 years 20 30 years or whatever and was able to turn out such a crazy good performance i was just like i'm totally here for it (laughs) he i wouldn't put him on the same level obviously as michelle yo in this film but he definitely holds his end of of the movie, no doubt. Oh yeah. He not yeah. only does he have a great action performance, but as I think you're kind of hinting at, he definitely has some great emotional and drama moments as well. It, it they oh, are yeah. they are one thing I guess that all these characters do well, especially him. I, I guess his focal point is I don't I don't know how I want to describe this cuz I don't want to give it away but essentially do I want to say this all right I'll say it it's it's not really a spoiler but he deal he his drama performance is great because he is dealing with multiple personalities that is all I'll say so yes. his his ability to differentiate all of them I don't think that's too big of a spoiler TJ I don't think so no I I think they show that in the trailer so I think you're probably right his ability to differentiate all these characters that he plays, which mainly he goes back and forth from two. Well, I think it is just two. Yeah. It is just two. His ability mm-hmm. to differentiate those two is spot on and is really the highlight of his drum performance. For those that don't know, I'm, I, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but it's I think it's Ki, Ki He Kwan. Something that sounds about right. Like so, that. I think it's something of that nature. He so for those who don't know, TJ already mentioned he is short round in Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, my favorite Indiana Jones movie. I think yours too, TJ. Or no, yours is the yeah, Last I, Crusade. Or or what is it? I do love Last Crusade. 
That's right. I hold all I hold the like the all the original three like really close to my heart. Definitely. <laughs> I grew up on a lot of those movies. Same. But anyway, yeah, he's short round in the Temple of Doom, and he's mm-hmm. data in the Goonies. Goonies. But and he was a popular actor, obviously, because those are two big movies. Mm-hmm. However, his story is he started getting once he left his teenage years and his early teenage years, people didn't want him. Production companies and and producers didn't want him in their films because they felt he only fit that type and people would only remember him for those movies and not, you know, the roles that he would be portraying in their movies. So he kind of fell off and ended up going behind the camera, went back to film school, I believe, and went behind the camera and then he saw the movie Crazy Crazy Rich Asians and loved that yes. film and realized, hey, I can do this again. I can get back into this. And sure enough, just I think it was three weeks later, he said, very shortly after, he got the role for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Most of this film was actually filmed pre-COVID. They mentioned, the directors in an interview mentioned there was only a couple scenes that they had to film during COVID and... One of them is they're in a – and both of the scenes were easy to film in COVID because they were mostly just sitting down shots. They, they weren't the crazy action that is in this film, which the action in this film, as TJ – or as we haven't mentioned yet, is absolutely bananas. It's so good. It reminds me of the Jackie Chan films, the Police Story, Police Story 2. In fact – It does. Speaking of Jackie Chan and Police Story, Police Story 3 – which, TJ, remind me the name of that one, the, the actual name Super of it? Cop? Super Cop. Has Michelle Yeoh in it, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, she's in it. Because uh, Michelle Yeoh is also known as a fantastic action actor as well from that movie and some of her other movies that I haven't seen but I've heard of. So, yeah. And it, it, the, the action between, again, Jackie Chan's action and this action is very similar, which I like because – we don't get a lot of it anymore, and I think what's nice about this film is it bring, as you've kind of alluded to, TJ, is it's bringing up certain film, filming techniques and action that we haven't seen in quite some time that that cinema has moved away from. And yeah. Jackie Chan's act, Jackie Chan action is some of my favorite action period. It is highly entertaining, just like it is in this film. And outlandish, especially in this film with the effects that go with the action in in certain regards. Would you agree, TJ? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say I watched I watched this a few weeks ago and I, I just remember being in the theater and everyone just like going absolutely bananas over like the crazy action scenes. Yeah. Um, speaking of the like seeing this in a theater, I think this is one of the most just like just like overall just like oh my god like kind of um reactions i've had to a movie in a long time i think probably other than like something like endgame i think it was probably my favorite viewing experience wow um just because like i went with with, uh the other john that's been on the podcast a few times and uh, with Calvin, who I think is, he's been on the podcast. Yeah, he was on right? It's a Mad, Mad, Mad podcast. Yeah. 
the spider the first spider-man no way home podcast yeah, yeah yeah if you remember them um we went together and they had no clue what this movie was i kind of just said this movie is super highly like phrased it's a multiverse movie that's all we really know um and then when the movie started and then like just like the like the the reactions from them and the reactions from like everyone else in the crowd who was like just like getting really into it like with the action was super fun and then when it turned to like the more emotional side how everyone you could hear everyone just crying <laughs> it was like it was just like it was something I felt like I hadn't experienced in a long time. And I was just like, I remember walking out and I was standing across from a girl who's waiting for someone at the bathroom and she was just in tears. Wow. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, I feel that, but like, dude. Wow. <laughs> um, and we kind of made eye contact and it was like, y'all good? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was just like, Oh, I, I I don't know. There's just there's nothing quite like it in my opinion. I think there was something so genuine about how like everyone reacted, about how everyone was cheering and everyone was crying. <laughs> it was just like, yes, this is. I, I think it was one of those ones where it ended, and I was just like, this is why I love movies. I straight up. Gosh darn it! That was my d- ignore that people. That was my alarm because i have to go get laundry so so on that note we are going to finish up this conversation and take a break so i can get my laundry because that's the life of a college student yo before i get my laundry we we will continue with this conversation and i will respond to your theater experience and and tj you already know what i'm about to say i am i didn't quite have that experience and i don't quite have that high emotion, the high emotions that you have for this film. I understand why it is a fantastic film. The pillars that make a great film are evident and clear in this production. And in fact, we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the five pillars. I don't know how, I don't know the exact number, but the pillars that that make a fantastic film, because I want to talk about them for the Northman what I think is the five pillars, or five, why do I say five? I don't know. The pillars to make a great movie, and TJ, you can critique me and say, John, are, are you high? Well, these are definitely not the pillars that make a great film, but that's later. <laughs> the, 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 the pillars are definitely present, but there were a few things plot-wise that kind of disrupted my my clear understanding and emotions after the fact, after watching the film. A big reason is I think in this film there is so, so much going on at once. For me, it kind of took me out of it. And I was trying to navigate through the film. And then while I'm trying to navigate through the film, the ultimate payoff that happens at the end of the film with Michelle Yeoh, her daughter, and her husband, for me doesn't have the emotional hit that I was hoping it would because I was so just weighted down by, oh my gosh, just went through a roller coaster and a, and a, a, I guess a philosophical roller coaster trying to figure out all these different messages and, and things of that nature. And I think ultimately it is that ending thought 
and that really bogs down my personal feelings towards the film. However, there were individual moments in the film that really did hit me, as you're referring to. There's one moment towards the end of the film where it is unlike anything that is in it. All I'll say is it takes place in sort of a desert kind of plateau area. TJ knows exactly yeah. what I'm referring to. Oh, that dude. one made me almost cry. I am not even kidding. That oh, one dude. was really freaking emotional. And that one definitely hit me as I believe the directors intended it to. Yeah, I I remember turning to Little John and he was his face was just like, oh my God, this is absolutely just like what is happening, but at the same time, holy shit. <laughs> and like you can see like the emotions of like it was just like, oh my god, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's too good. <laughs> it is. They the the creativity, I will say, I have not seen a film with this much creativity, maybe ever. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. <laughs> it's truly something else you can't knock it for how creative it gets from the action to the plot to the hot dog fingers what yes hot dog fingers were i i so my thing too is i had i didn't even watch the trailer because i wasn't even planning on seeing it in the first place for those that don't know i go to college in helena montana which doesn't get a lot of the smaller films which this one isn't necessarily a super small film, but it's not big. That's for sure. Yeah, it's not the biggest one you'll no. ever see. And that's a great. Re and the turnout of the film is a reflection why they don't bring him here. There was only two other people in the theater at, with me, and this was during you know six o'clock on a Tuesday. So it's not early on a Tuesday. I mean, yes, it is a work day, of course, for people, but nonetheless, it still is in the afternoon. And there was only two other people in the theater besides me. That's just an, that's just a reflection on why they don't bring these movies to Helena's because there isn't a big audience for them. But I'm glad they did because it's and and I'll say my final thoughts on this film because we should move on to the unbearable weight of massive talent and you can give us your final thoughts, TJ. It should go up for best picture. I don't know if it'll win it, but it definitely deserves it and should, despite my hindered review. I guess you could say of it. My 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 negative thoughts on it, it should definitely still go up for, for best picture because it definitely deserves it. And if it wins, I won't blame it because I understand why people love it so much. I understand why you and other people love it so much. I understand from a filmmaking perspective how great it is from the effects. Man, those effects were gnarly. They were so oh, well yeah. done and so good. And, and the color palette for a lot of them was magnificent. It's yeah, just... It I, yeah, style wise, it, it it definitely it definitely w like wins in terms of style. Like, I think there's there, there's something about like the way like every little like nook and cranny has it, it feels very colorful in its own little way. No doubt. Anyway, yes. Final thoughts should go up for best picture. We'll see what happens. TJ, give us your final thoughts on the film. Um. I, I I love this movie. I think I think I, I think it's definitely the, the the best movie I've seen in a long time. I think I I, I I don't think I've had a movie where I've just felt so viscerally just like, oh my god, this is this is it. I 
I think it was funny. I cried. I laughed a lot. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's just, I, I thought it was fantastic. Perfect. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. In regards to best picture and stuff, I'm totally here for it. I think, uh, it'll definitely, I, I, I can definitely see it going up for a lot of those like writing and, um, I, I could see like Michelle Yeoh going up for an actress kind of thing. I could, see, I could see it. Um, and picture and stuff like that. But like, yeah, I don't know. It, I think it just depends on some of the other stuff this year. So it does. I think with the recent trend of sort of the A24 type of films going up for awards. I think this one will get nominated for Best Picture. Did The Lighthouse get nominated for Best Picture? Or, or didn't, did no, it? No, it only got nominated for Cinematography. That's right. That was a big... Which is a crying uh, shame. Yeah, that was a big... That is one thing I actually hate about the 2019... Or 2020 Oscars. Mm. That is the one thing I will... I will forever hold against them. Is not nominating Willem Dafoe. Because I think he honestly should have won. <laughs> for supporting or actor? Supporting. Supporting. Um, who yeah, won? I that think, was Brad Pitt. That won that year, right? That was Brad Pitt. I love Brad Pitt. I think that I think that's a fun performance. But I think there's something so viscerally just oh my god about Willem Dafoe in the White House that mm. is so much. I think it trumps it in a way. Okay. Anyway, do you, do you think that Parasite should have won? This is we're going on a side note here, but I'll, I I want to ask you this: Do you think that Parasite should have won Best Picture? Yes. Okay. So you do agree with that? Okay. Yes, I, I I think most of them were pretty true to form. I think most of those 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 wins were pretty good. Right. I don't think I really had it. I think that was a year where I think most of the stuff I thought would win won, and I think most of the things that deserved it won. I can't remember anything that like truly stands out. Um, but yeah, I think other than the Will of Defoe thing, it's like Tony Collette and Hereditary, where it's like it's obviously better than what won. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's not even nominated. It's really weird. It definitely this is another A twenty four movie. The yeah, the, you're you're right. The Oscars definitely did hit that that year. They got most of their things right. And when I think about that, I look to the fact that 1917 won Best Picture, which it should have. And I appreciated you, you know, Parasite won Best Picture. I mean, not Best Picture, Best Cinematography, 1917. Yeah. Which it definitely should have, and uh, I look to things such as Ford v Ferrari winning all that sound stuff, which it should have. Yeah, that sort of thing. So I agree. Anyway, where this is not a twenty twenty best picture show podcast episode, yeah. maybe that would be something we could revisit later on. But let me go pick up my laundry. Let's take a break. <laughs> we'll come back and we'll talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from my laundry break, my good old laundry, <laughs> laundry. break, laundry, and we're going to talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent. This is the Nick, or AKA the Nick Cage film. Yeah, the Nick Cage movie. Nick Cage being Nick Cage, playing yeah, Nick Cage, doing Nick Cage things. I'll start out with the plot, which is pretty simple. Essentially, Nick Cage is not getting any acting gigs, and therefore is kind of being shut out of the acting spotlight and he needs to make money 
So he ends up taking a $1 million offer to spend a weekend at a, a wealthy person's estate, their house, played uh, that wealthy person is Javi, played by Pedro Pascal. And that is essentially the plot. There is other stuff that ensues, but that is more spoilery, more so I will not that. include that. Yeah. TJ, what were your overall thoughts on this film? What did you think? Um, Ian, I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I, uh, I just knew it was a Nick Cage movie about being Nick Cage, and that it had Pedro Pascal, and that it's going to be like... It was a comedy. I didn't, I didn't really watch the trailers. I was just like, ah, it's Nick Cage being Nick Cage, whatever. And it is um, that very. Re- Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, uh, going through it, I thought it was it was funny. I think it was over the top and weird. Like had that weird kind of like, like self referential, um, like edge to it that I thought was you don't really see in anything else. It was very meta. Is what I'm kind of going for. Um, and I thought Nick Cage was really funny. Pedro Pascal is really funny. Writing wise, honestly, it's nothing special. At least in my opinion, I thought once you get past some of like the meta bits and like some of like the pretty good jokes, it's kind of just your basic plot. Like your it's basic stereotypical in a lot plot. of ways. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't. It, I, I didn't think it broke any new ground or anything. I didn't expect it to, <clears throat> but uh, I mean, I had fun with it. It's a fun movie. It is. <laughs> what can I say? And and like you kind of alluded to, it is totally fine that it is a stereotypical plot because the reason you're there is because of Nick Cage playing himself, an exaggerated version of himself. And that's obviously the one of the biggest takeaways is his performance – and his kind of his outlandish performance, but also Pascal's performance as well. He was great as Javi. He had that quirky edge to him that I really liked, and was reflected also in their in his conversations with Cage. That's a, that was a great pairing. That the the Javi character with the Nick Cage character was a great pairing. It's in, in both of their kind of personalities, but also. Their, their chemistry was very evident, uh, Pedro Pascal's and Nick Cage. That is one of the best parts of this film. Their chemistry is very genuine. If you told me that they had been friends for 10 years, I would have believed you. There are conversations that they have that show this. For example, they have one, and this is not a spoiler because it's in the, in the trailer – they talk about their favorite films of all time. It's either favorite or greatest. I, I mix them up. I'm pretty sure it's favorite, TJ, right? I think it's their favorite film. It's just a top three movies ever. Yeah, it's not, it, top, three, top three films ever. And I loved that conversation for a few reasons. One, as I mentioned, it's genuine. But two, you know, I, you and I, TJ, can have had several moments where we have had similar conversations to this as individuals who love film. We always talk about, oh, what's the greatest Clint Eastwood film of all time? What What's the greatest war film of all time? Oh, you know, th- that sort of thing. And, and making all these lists, our favorite films of all time. I mean, we, we, we like doing yeah. that, obviously. We, have, we both have those. And that is something that I related to and just added to the charm, I guess you could say, of the film. And it culminates that conversation, which, again, this isn't a spoiler because it's in the trailer. <laughs> 
of Pedro say, or Javi saying his third favorite film of all time is Paddington 2, which for those that aren't aware, Paddington 2 for a while was the highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes. It lost to something that I forgot. It dropped uh, to second because of another film that I forgot. But for a while, it was the number one film on Rotten Tomatoes. And there were, you know, memes made about it and things of that nature. But I've heard, from what I've heard, I've only seen the first one. From what, I heard, from what I've heard, it is a fantastic animated film. And so they ended up watching it, Javi and Nick Cage do. And they're both, and it's both, it, it cuts to them crying on the couch and Nick Cage affirming what Javi was saying, which is, yes, this is an a, a amazing film. The, the, oh, yeah, it's dude. it's great. I haven't seen the Paddington movies. Really? Interesting. I think I've seen maybe 20 minutes of the first one. Okay. Yeah, I've seen the first one once, and that was when I was a lot younger. But it is definitely something I'll have to revisit now, just because I always planned on watching the first one again and watching the second one, because I heard how good the second one was. But now that this film has come out and referenced it, now I'm obligated to, okay? I have to. There's yeah. no... There's no way I can't. I cannot talk about it. The characters outside of Nick Cage and Javi are fine. I mean, they they also fall into a very stereotypical stereotypical role. The two um, are they FBI agents? TJ CIA FBI? I think there's. I don't remember. They're either CIA FBI. They are very much a stereotypical stereotypically portrayed you'll see very similar characters in basically a lot of other comedies films yeah. where you'll have these characters the main character is for is kind of forced to do this one thing or they're there or the main characters are in this one situation and just on the outside of them are these quirky are these funny supposedly funny fbi government type roles agents and and the two actors that i'm forgetting their names of in the Nick Cage movie definitely do that. Do you remember their names, TJ, the, the, the actors? Uh, it's Tiffany Haddish and... Uh, oh, God. I, can't, I can never remember the, guy, the one guy's last name. I just, I just know his first name is Ike, and he's from like a bajillion comedies in the last like 15 years. All right. I'll take it. <laughs> Good enough. That works. Yeah. Yeah. They, they again, very stereotypical in that sense. You definitely uh, one thing I was surprised I will say is it didn't make as much money in the box office as I thought it would. It only made roughly seven million dollars, which considering how big of a considering the Nick Cage Renaissance and the following he has from you know people who love film, but also people who just kind of casually watch movies such as. National, the National Treasure movies, or or and just millennials in general that have a, that have a, a fondness for him from the movies that he made while they were growing up. It's I, I was surprised. I'll be honest. I thought it would make have made more than The Northman, which it didn't. And we'll talk about that when we get to The Northman and the comparison between the two as far as reception from the public. But I, I, I that caught me off guard. TJ, would would you would you agree? Yeah, I. Definitely not expecting that. Um, I mean, I was not expecting it to only make like less than ten thousand or 
or 10 million, not, not 10,000. <laughs> if it um, made less than 10,000, that would be bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be awful. I don't know. Um, uh, that'd be terrible. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I was a little surprised. I didn't expect it to, like you said, go that low. Not that, um, but I still think it did decently. It didn't actually, now that I think of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't. Um, it, it's weird. I, 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 I don't know what to think of it. It's cause it's like, it should have gotten a weirdly higher. It, it should be like higher than it is, but it's like weirdly low. So it's like, I don't know. And you talked about it too, TJ. You brought this up in our conversation when we were talking to each other yesterday, which is it seemed to have a big reception once the trailer came out. There was a lot of buzz about it of yeah. people I- intrigued and and excited for it because, I mean, you and I literally, TJ, have had this conversation literally verbatim where we talk, we, we've talked about if there was an actor to play themselves in a movie – it would be Nicolas Cage. Cage. It would be. We've literally yeah. had this conversation before the movie was even discussed and 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 revealed. So co- yeah, when you it, combine, th- go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say like yeah, it really did have that like, oh my god, it's a Nick Cage movie about being Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. Exactly. You have to see this, and I felt like it was a big thing on the internet, like about like oh my god, like I said, Nick Cage being Nick Cage. I felt like I saw a lot of film pages posting about it, and it was like, it's going to be this bigger deal, but I guess not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll come back this weekend. Who knows? Did it meet your, did you have any expectations going in or ideas on what the film, how the film was going to be handled, and did it meet that, that criteria for you, that, 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 uh, expectation? Um... I didn't, I didn't really have anything going in. I kind of just was like, oh, it's the Nick Cage movie. Um, and I, I heard it was going to be fun. Um, I mean, I saw that it had like a really, really high Rotten Tomatoes score for like a long time. So I was like, oh, it has to be pretty good, I think. Uh, it felt a little short in my opinion. I think... Like I said earlier, once you get past like the the really really good like stuff that I thought was like really funny, like the meta stuff and all that, it kind of just became your average like action comedy. I thought that was kind of a little disappointing, but like it wasn't a bad thing. It's I not like I, I it's not like I hated the movie because of it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with your basic everyday thing, but I don't know, just me. I would agree. By considering all the things that we have already mentioned. And I was, I will be honest, I was expecting a, I guess you could say a little crazier plot. Although it was quite crazy at points. I I love when they, all I'll say is they decide to take LSD, I believe it is. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's right. And I I love, I can't tell this is a straight, straight reference to Ken Kessie. And his sort of whole LSD stuff, but he uh, uh, it's it's a, one of the more prominent examples, right, in in novel and movie and movie culture about Ken Kesey and his you know LSD journeys and stuff to to be, make Great all his books. creative stuff. 
but like his novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But he, but Hoffy says we because they're trying to create a script, right? They're trying to create a script. Nick Cage needs. To, well, actually, that's all I'll say. I'm. I was about to get into some spoilers there. I, I stopped myself though. <laughs> anyway, they're 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 writing the script. They want they're writing the script together. And Javi says, "Yo, if we want to be as creative as possible, we need to we need to take some LSD." And they go on this whole trip and thing. And it's it's very that that part I will say is one of my favorite parts in the movie. And I forgot how much I enjoyed that, but. After that point, um, then you start really going hardcore stereotypical. And the other thing I'll mention, too, about just kind of the quirkiness of the film that I didn't want to leave out is, and this is in the trailer, is the Nick Cage sort of memorabilia and stuff that Javi has in the room. (laughs) The build-up yes. to that scene, I won't say why there's a build-up to it, but there's a build-up to the scene because Nick Cage needs to get in, into the room for a reason, for a certain reason that he thinks. It, he thinks there's something in the room, but it's actually not there. And he goes, and so he opens it up, and it turns out it's all this Nick Cage memorabilia. And he's like, are those my golden guns? <laughs> and he says... It's so good. He says, it's grotesque. I'll take twenty, or I'll give you twenty thousand for it. <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to get his, his wax figure with his 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 golden forty five ACP <laughs> Springfield Armory handguns, and there's and also he he uh, there, I, I love the exchange too, where they're they're also on LSD, and this is in the trailer. He says he's like, I love you, or I love you too, and they're pointing at each other, the, their guns, they're pointing <laughs> guns at each other, and. Uh, and it's just it's moments like that that really solidify the pair's chemistry i think that is undoubtedly the best part and my favorite part in the film honestly more than just nick cage being nick cage i mean obviously nick cage being nick cage is a part of that chemistry but that chemistry alone there's there is that charm to it and uniqueness to it that you don't get in other I guess, but you know, buddy cop films or other films with a certain with a similar aesthetic, right? I mean, you do it. It, it has that quirkiness to it, that uniqueness to it that is not present in those films. Would you agree, TJ? Yeah, I I, I think I, I I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent. Anything else you want to mention? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I I thought it was fun. I I had a fun time. Uh, really got me going for just movies in general. And then went into the Northmen. <laughs> went into the Northmen. See you. I my viewing order for the for the unbearable weight of massive talent and the Northmen is how I wanted it to be, which was the Northmen first, and then having the comedy second. But you'll have to talk about your journey from comedy to <laughs> grotesque violence and just quite a chaotic and disturbing wild plot of the Northmen. But my, oh, I loved it. Oh yes, my pro transition. See, I'm going to create. A, I'm just warning you. I'm about to have a pro transition here between. 
the unbearable weight of massive talent and the Northmen. So we talked about, I hinted at this earlier, which is my expectations as far as the amount of, well, we talked about it too with the unbearable weight of massive talent, how many people would go out to see this film. There were a significantly, there were significantly more people in my theater for the Northmen than the unbearable weight of massive talent, despite the fact that I saw the Northmen literally at noon on a Friday, and then I saw the unbearable weight of massive talent on that same Friday, this last Friday, at around four o'clock when people were already off work and could go, or some people were already off work and could go see the film. There were only two people. There was only one other person in my theater for the unbearable weight of massive talent. And there were, gosh, there were quite a bit of people in my theater for the Northmen. I mean, it was the most packed theater I had been in in Helena for quite some time. I mean, there were a lot of, almost all the seats, not almost all the seats, but majority of the seats were filled up, which I thought was kind of interesting being at noon on a Friday. Did you have a similar experience, TJ, with with the theaters and how full they were? Yeah, um, I'd say... For the Nick Cage one, it was uh, maybe four groups in all. Like, um, and then I think for the Northmen, it was I'd say it was a big theater, uh, and I'd say solid like half of it was full. But it, it's like two of the ones we have at like the uh, the Village, which is our local theater. Right, we go to a lot. So, um, yeah, considering that, I, I was pretty, it was pretty packed, which I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. My question, I'm going to start this, start the conversation out with the Northman by asking you, did you avenge your father, TJ? And did you save your mother? <laughs> yes. I, and I killed Fjolnir. Oh, you killed Fjolnir. Okay, cool. Cool. That, then, then that's it. All right. Thanks yeah. guys. We appreciate the listen, all that stuff. See you next time. No, just kidding. Yeah. All right. Opening up with the plot of the Northman. It is very much a action revenge film about a prince whose father was murdered by his uncle and his uncle takes his mother cap- he, he captive and it's again a revenge story about him going and trying to kill his uncle and saving his mother as we just as I just referenced. <laughs> yeah. TJ, you have a long history. You have a history with Robert Eggers because you had seen his other two films that he has made in his filmography. How did yeah. this one, not necessarily, I, I, how did this one, I, I don't want to say compare, but just with that background, what are your thoughts on this film? Uh, I think overall, I, I mean, I, I thought this movie was fantastic. Um, he, I think he's a very, or the director is very much of a slow burn kind of guy. I think this kind of really accentuates that in a way where it's like, it, it kind of plays out like this big action movie in the trailer and then you kind of get into it. Like it's a, it's a little slower once you get into like the real thick of it. Um, how it compares to the other ones. I'm still kind of debating that in my mind because I think there's something about the witch and the lighthouse that are absolutely fantastic um about like they're like smaller i feel like they're 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 shorter and they're 
feel like more rounded out in a, somehow in a way. I don't know. It's really weird. I'm, I, I, I've been meaning to rewatch them now that I've seen The Northmen and kind of see how I feel going forward. Yeah, I so I have a much different perspective on the film because I don't have that background with this director. I hadn't seen his other two films. And at this point you might be thinking, "John, do you just not like weird films?" And I and to you I say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold <laughs> up. First off, I do like weird films that because I do like David Lynch. And if you don't, if you say that David Lynch does not have weird films or weird, weird television shows, then I don't know what you're on. You're weird. <laughs> Particularly I, the weirdest stuff that I've seen from him, because I've only the only movie I've seen of his is Dune, is the third season of Twin Peaks, which is definitely weird. <laughs> and as TJ can attest, very weird and different than the other two seasons of Twin Peaks. So I do enjoy that kind of weird. And and I guess that that it, that is it is I like I don't mean to go on on a tangent here although that's kind of what we've done with all of our podcast episodes at some point. I like David Lynch weird. I don't like weird in some of these other films that I've been watching recently. There is something more calming I guess you could say, in a sense, although there is there are several scenes from in <laughs> the Twin Peaks season three that are weird that are not calming. But there's a, there's I guess you could say there's less chaos in his weird. It's more his his chaos his his weirdness is more of you know a tapestry, a mural, as opposed to a heavy metal band or that kind of weird. Do you do you, do you get my reference here, TJ? What I'm trying to say. I, I think I'm good picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. And and that's – I kind of like that, that the there's a little bit more – again, I don't want to offend all this, these other these other different kinds of weird, but there is a certain elegance and taste in David Lynch's weird films that I, I guess, show that I enjoy more. But anyway, that's just, that's just a tangent, and we'll have to talk about David Lynch weird another time. Back to The Northman. I loved this film. It is absolutely fantastic. I gave it four and a half out of five stars on Letterboxd for many reasons. One of which is it, the foundational pillars, which I hinted at earlier that TJ, I know TJ, you're on the edge of your seat. John, what are you about to say? What are you about to say that make up a fantastic film? The foundational pillars that make an excellent movie are present. And I'll go through all those, and TJ, you can comment on what you thought of them as well, of course, or maybe something that I missed that is that makes an excellent film, and you can bonk me across the head from from uh, Idaho to Montana with something. I don't know. You could figure out. You could figure out something. Oh yeah. First, I'll talk about the cinematography because, oh boy, was the fa- was the cinematography fantastic. There were there were so many stunning shots. Especially when you have when the characters were moving from one location to another on horseback or something along those lines. It, it, it gave me, I'm not even kidding, it gave me slight Lawrence of Arabia flashbacks. I mean, very slight. I mean, I'm, saying, I'm saying very, very slight, but they were there because there were some, there were some grand scale filmmaking that I, that I saw in this film where, where it, it, displayed by 
how the how the camera was placed uh, among many among other things. And and for those that have seen Lawrence of Arabia, you know there are very grand scale shots, cinematography very wide, uh, cameras very far away from its subjects. And this film definitely has some of those moments, not to that extent, because. Let's be honest, Lawrence of Arabia is, is God-tier and nothing can compete with it, right, TJ? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being slightly sarcastic, people, okay? I love Lawrence of Arabia. It's a top four film for me, and it is undoubtedly one of the best shot films of all time. If you don't say otherwise, fight me. But let me tone down my emotions here a little bit. It, there are also some great one-shots as well. That is one of the highlights of the cinematography, and... One that really sticks out to me, and it's kind of the crowning achievement of the one-shots in this film. There are, I know there are, there are a few. It's not just one, I'm pretty sure. But there is one in particular, the one that I'm thinking of, where you see Alexander Skarsgård's character, Analith, Amalith, Analith, I think it's Amalith, Amalith. He is, who's the prince? He's going from left, left to right on one side of a building, and this is one that his him and his group is raiding a village. Again, not spoilers because it's in the trailer. And the camera is on the other side of the house going from left to right. So as he goes across frame or is going across from left to right, the camera is also moving in that same direction, but the house blocks him as he's taking down all these villagers and killing all these people. Also, there is a one-shot where, watch, well yeah, there is multiple one-shots. My favorite one-shot of the movie is, and it is in a testament to, again, the camera work on this movie. I don't know who the cinematographer is, but I probably should look into him. It's oh, when, oh, TJ, you got this. You're, you're going to be our Jamie. You're, you're, you're the Jamie in this situation right now. The, the, the one, there's this one one-shot that is the first shot we get of an older Amalith. He's now no, no longer a young boy. He's a he's a full-on man, that's for sure. I think so. I think this is the first shot with him. Anyway, it starts out the camera starts out on the bank, legitimately on this 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 viridescent green, you know, bank. And it and on the bank, while the camera's still on the bank, you see these two these two ships going from left to right up a river. And with these Viking characters that are rowing, that are rowing these boats, one of the rowers is Amalith. And the camera goes straight out to the boat and then takes a gradual right to place itself on the boat. So it goes from on the bank to on the boat and then it it continues. It gets even wilder. It goes in between the rowers of the boat. There's one rower on each side of the boat and then takes a slight right turn to focus on our main character, Amalith, played by Alexander Skarsgård, and it's just an testament to the creativity and the effort that was put into this film. I mean, we can talk about this as our final thoughts if we want, but you don't really see films like this that much in cinema that have these big budgets and have these big marketing campaigns because and and fortunately we had we're talking about three original screenplays which I love I love that original content 
I am a big Marvel guy. I love DC. I know TJ, you're the same as well. But it, it, there is something about an original script that really hits you. Original, original piece of work. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I personally love when uh, movies go hard with like being like, truly giving something new. Um, like I don't mind the, the good old adaptive screenplay. I mean, you can't go wrong. I mean, you got, I mean, you have fantastic, uh, adapted screenplays. I'm trying oh, to yeah, think for of sure. literally one. It's Shawshank Redemption. Literally like one of the greatest movies ever. But I mean, there's something about like when a movie is truly original. I, oh my God. And, and I would say I would, to a certain extent, include a lot of those adapted screenplays in today's world as somewhat original considering all the remakes that are going on. I mean, they definitely aren't original original, but there is they are original in the sense that it that is, you know, the first movie from it or something along those lines. Yeah. Anyway, back okay. to cool. go, Oh yeah, you go ahead, TJ. Go ahead, tell us. Um essentially all all he's done is just all his big stuff is just working with Roger Eggers. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, so he's done has he shot his other two films then? Yeah. Is there anything else big he's done or no? Uh, big? Not really. I think in terms of like actual movies, I think there's like two. Yeah. Huh. Um, one has the girl who's Nancy from uh, uh, Stranger Things, and then one has is like a crime movie with uh, guys Dwight from The Office. Hmm. Interesting. Other than that, it's just a bunch of small stuff. It doesn't look like he has anything on the horizon. So Now, being a fan of Eggers, TJ, and seeing his other two movies, and now that we yeah. know his cinematographer is the same with all three of these, did you notice any similarities between this film and his other two shot films with Eggers? Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for straws. It's been a while since I've seen The Witch. Yeah. Um... He does like. I mean, one thing they do love to do is like silhouette shots. Because mm. um, I mean, no spoilers, but it has. There's one very famous one from near the end of the witch, um, and I think oh, I'm trying to think where's the one um, the lighthouse. I can't remember. But like, oh, and they do love doing like the, uh, like the the just like the frontal shot of like having the camera like placing the actor straight in the center, like really close. They do that and with this like, film. Yeah, they do it a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that in both the witch and the lighthouse in very similar fashions. Uh, in very key points in the movie, which is really cool. I'll wrap up this cinematography discussion by mentioning the fact that the – I mentioned the one-shot perspective of the shots that I mentioned, but I'll also say just the the choreography of the camera, which is a part of a one-shot, definitely. I mean you have to have choreography and precise choreography to pull these off, especially the boat one because I'll mention that – the guy I, I saw this in a director with or director. I saw this in a director. Yeah, John. I saw this in an interview with Eggers and Alexander Skarsgard for Vanity Fair. He said to get that boat shot, 
first of all, the cameraman had to make sure not to trip on any of the guy's feet as they were rowing, but also the guy that was rowing in front of Skarsgård had to throw his oar in the water and duck out of frame, duck out of shot, so the camera could be in place of where that guy that was rowing was so they could focus on his face. I love kind of behind-the-scenes stuff in, uh, uh, and of, the, of this nature that I just mentioned, and that is definitely a, a cool one from the film. Moving on, we'll talk about writing. I think that is another foundational piece of a great film. If TJ disagrees with me, then TJ, I will fight you. Obviously, you don't because then that'd be stupid. (laughs) Um, With the writing, it is 95% there. The other 5% for me is there's kind of minor hiccups in the film where it loses a sense of direction at times. It's small. It is very small, but there are times where you as a viewer you don't quite know where they're trying to go with this with a certain scene at a certain time and because his whole right his whole thing is is he's going to avenge his father but there are times where there are not necessarily lulls but moments where that path kind of gets put to the side it feels like at times for very brief moments and it kind of it confuses you it confused me at least a little bit when i looked at it more precisely but that being said, it was only 5% of the time, so it works. Um, there, I can, I'm going to butcher it, but there's, I was thinking of the Anchorman quote there that I was about to say. Anyway, with the with the Black Pan, with the Panther cologne thing, that is a much different Oh, it works movie 60% of the time, all the time? There we go. Yes. Yes. Can I get some laughter for that, please? <laughs> TJ can't hear this, but there's it. laughter going on right now with my soundboard. Oh, boy. Anyway, wow. Back to what I was talking about. Uh, That is something I noticed with the writing. But beyond that, the writing is, again, stellar. It it hits, again, besides missing those slight beats, it hits everything else. It is paced, for the most part, well. And it has... The dialogue has a presence that doesn't that keeps it in the limelight, but also doesn't overshadow one of the bigger aspects of the film. I don't want to say bigger, but it definitely holds a bigger component in the film, which is the movement of the characters. And then also the action that takes place in this film, which is beyond just crazy and authentic and practical. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's charming about this film is there is little use of CGI and loads of practicality. Edgar said he used no extras in movies such as the Marvel movies. You'll see plenty of CGI extras. They'll, they'll, they'll place in CGI people, but there is none of that in this film. And there's the only CGI really that is present is when, you know, the prince and the king have that kind of dream sort of drug sequence and there's also there are sequences like that and dreamlike sequences are the only times where there's actually really CGI used except for there's some other there's some the other tree there's some other moments that I won't mention that also CGI nonetheless very little and I guess that is a good point that is a good thing to move on with is the fact that there is again little CGI and one thing that blew my mind and i don't know if you're aware of this tj the volcano fight at the end which is in the trailer for there's a couple Mm -hmm. shots in the trailer 
So not a spoiler. I keep saying not a spoiler to reaffirm that I'm not going crazy and <laughs> and make sure that I'm not saying any spoilers. There is the, the volcano fight that takes place at the end. All the, the lava that you see is legitimate props, lighted props <laughs> that so blew. Good. Dude, that blew my mind. Any other movie in existence would use CGI for that that sequence for the lava, green screen, blue screen, whatever. But literally, if you look at behind the scenes clips, there is lighting. They they have these blobs and sort of you know streams of lava in this behind the scenes shot that are lighted, so they are real and they are there, which is. I I would have never believed that, but once I realized that, and then thought back to the scene that I was wa- that I watched, I had that sort of realization of oh wow, that I actually I actually see that now because it really didn't look like CGI, and there's a reason it didn't really look like CGI because there was really none of it in that shot. I'm sure there was some light touch-ups, but it wasn't to the extent of major touch-ups that are in films that ruin practical shots because they feel like they need to add more color or something along those lines to the practical color that is already there. What what did you what did you think? George Lucas said that of Star Wars. (laughs) Oh really? (laughs) I told you about the George Lucas edits of A New Hope, right? Right, right. And he's not he won't actually show the original? No. Yeah, he he has it locked away. Yeah. It's like I'll never show it. I'm just like, mm. Mm. makes kinda, me bad. Yeah. Well, anyway, CGI TJ, I assume you really appreciated the, the, the lack of it. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, I, I, I love when stuff like that is practical. I think practicality is something I feel like is something few and far between these days. Um, or like true practicality, like to that measure. Um, and that was, I mean, I, I think that's one reason why I didn't like Spider-Man, like the latest Spider-Man as much is because it, like the effects of it just make it look so bad. <laughs> and I, I just like, it's just like, I get to like all the stunts and stuff are pretty practical, but I was just like, there's something about the way it looks. that just like, it threw me out of it. And I was just like, this looks like garbage and I can't get behind it. Cause I just, it doesn't look the part. Um, nonetheless. Yes. I understand as I, uh, stroke my, uh, Spider-Man <laughs> no way home. Um, <laughs> steelbook. <laughs> steelbook. No, but it is a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right with that. It's yeah. We've talked like no way home, but <laughs> I, right. I do. Right. There is one shot that TJ and I have religiously talked about on this podcast. That is absolutely terrible in this film straight oh, up God. looks like or not with not with the northman but with the spider-man movie it straight up looks like it comes out of a video game it uh, looks abysmal it, i think is, it is terrible i think it is one of the worst shots i've ever seen in my life it is terrible it is really terrible and i hope they changed it to they at least hopefully fixed it a little for the when they released they're releasing it on the on digital and and fit in the physical copies as well but we'll see Anyway, yeah, no, it is, it, it, uh, I uh, completely agree with what you said there, TJ. It is a, definitely a sight for sore eyes. Yes. No doubt. Um, 
I, I think that's why I also like the latest Batman a lot. Because it doesn't... Good point. It feels minimal in that kind of sense, which is good. I, I, I didn't think I needed a big, crazy Marvel CGI action fight. which And I think that movie accentuates, like, not being that, like, at all. Yeah. Um, like, it uses... I, I like the Northman. It uses, like, no CGI, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Or, like, very little, at least. Um, yeah. I think it's just like, I love that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Continuing with the practicality side of things, all the boats, huts, and caves are authentic and created to be the most historically accurate as possible. Again, I do my research. Um, Eggers mentioned in one of his interviews that literally everything down from the design of the shields, the carvings, the design of the boats, yeah, all that was as historically accurate as possible. And I love that. I love when historically accurate meets <laughs> uh, drug or drug-induced dreams and mythical dreams. I, there's something about that that di- that dynamic that is so <laughs> different and cool. You know what I'm saying, TJ? It it it's yeah. to see those worlds collide is always. It, it's always interesting. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the aesthetic of this film was awesome. It kind of like, like mixing that weird, like, Viking, um, uh, like, mythology kind of thing. Like, all those crazy, like, visuals with, like, very grounded Viking things as well. It, like, it really feels like the like full package deal of, like, going into a Viking movie, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'll mention about practicality is continuing with, you know, all the historically accurate things. They also built a lot, a lot of these sets were, were fully built and the, the village sets were built. And that is again, evident in your viewing experience. Moving on to acting, which is another pillar that creates an excellent film that builds a foundation for an excellent film. What are your thoughts, TJ, on the acting on the, uh, on in this in this uh, film? I mean, I thought it was great all around. I think, um, especially from like people like Skarsgård and uh, Annie Taylor Joy, and um, I feel like those are like the two heavy hitters because I feel like they're in the film the most. I would personally would um, also shout out Nicole Kidman. I thought she did a fantastic job yeah, as a supporting I, role. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, well, I was gonna. I was just gonna be like, once you get into like the more side characters, right? Like Nicole Kidman. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it's Claire. I don't remember the the one guy that, who's a uh, Phil near. I, I will look that up for you man. since you well, <laughs> since you looked up the cinematographer for me. For me, TJ, I got you. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ethan Hawke is great in his in his. Um, Limited screen time, I'll say that. Um, and Willem Dafoe is weird. <laughs> he's he is he's, that is one way to put it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think everyone was very on point. Everyone took the script very seriously and was like, "I could run with this. I could do this." Uh-huh. And I mean, made an awesome movie. I believe the actor's name is Clayus Bang. Does that sound right? 
Yes. Clay I guess who you're talking about. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. But, uh, no, yeah, I agree. I agree totally. It's one, one thing that was just remarkable to me was Alexander Skarsgård's physical acting in this film. I mean, not only getting jacked, but his, just his body language and the things that he puts himself through in this film is unparalleled to most of the stuff that we've been watching recently. I mean, I'm trying to think back to, can you think of, TJ, a movie where a character puts himself through the physical just acting that Skarsgård does between going through mud and climbing up things and throwing himself at 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 people people and all that stuff. I mean, I'm trying to think, but I I don't know if I can, at least off the top of my head, I I don't know if I can find anyone else. Um, To that extent, no. I think he's on a soul level of like, just like a getting ripped as hell. Yeah. <laughs> like he he got like Chris Hemsworth like swole for this movie. At least for his, at least for him it is. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, I I I think there's something like there's a level of like how he just like absolutely goes hard in like every scene, just like. Like I said, climbing up stuff and running through crazy environments and stuff like that, which is really cool. Dude, that one shot where he was climbing up the side of the wall, that came out of nowhere. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, wow. I think, I don't know. I think he, I talked about this earlier. He definitely has the chops to go up for an acting, for best acting, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think a lot of the people who are like really big in this movie have a good chance. Um, you know, like you said, Skarsgård. I think Anya Taylor Joy has a good chance for like like supporting actress kind of thing. Maybe Nicole Kidman. Um, I I think it's just like it's a very well rounded cast in general, and I think they all have a good chance of getting some award noms. Mm-hmm. One other thing I'll mention is about Skarsgård's acting, and Anna Taylor-Joy does a good job with this too, is the emotions that they show on their face throughout it. I mean, you see a variety of different ones, and the way they're able to portray certain things without dialogue at times is truly fantastic, along with what they do show when they ha- when they are accompanied with dialogue. But as I think I've already mentioned, you're you I mean yes, you want great dialogue and things of that nature, but you really are there for a big reason because of the the action and the movement of the characters throughout the plot as well among other things. All right, moving on from acting, we have directing, which I think is might be my favorite part of this film. I say that, and of course you have a bunch of other great stuff, such as cinematography and acting and writing, which we've all mentioned. It is consistent and clear throughout the entirety of the film. There was never a point 
where from a directing standpoint where I didn't think that the characters had bad direction. They always felt like they were true to themselves. And and again, that is an attestment and shows how good the directing is with this guy, with Eggers. I really need to check out his other two films because I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was well, it was consistent and it felt like and I'll talk about this in a second as an overall plot when you combine the writing and the directing. I kind of already hinted at this. It's it, it doesn't feel nearly as seamless. But looking at individual the individual sections of the film, right? You have sections of the film that pop up, you know, the name and it's like, you know, the blade eats or whatever is one of them. The 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 blade that he has it says the blade eats and there's 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 different sections of the film. Looking at those individual sections and looking at the directing, it was consistent and it was clearly always present. W- would you would you agree, TJ? Yeah, I think I, I I already knew like from his other two movies that he he knows how to direct a good movie. He's he's definitely if like a uh, very consistent knows how to like draw emotions out. He's very. He knows what he's doing. Like for considering he's only been making movies like this for like five years now, seven years now, something like that. I feel like he's kind of literally started kind of mastering his craft. Um, and like, like you said, everything feels consistent. Uh, like through and through with this one. I think it really kind of proves that he's, he knows what he's doing. Like I said, Exactly. What I what I would I would I have no gripes with what you just said, TJ. But before we end this thing, I'm sorry, people. I have to bring up the negatives. I gave it a four and a half out of five stars. TJ gave it a four out of five stars. It's not a perfect film. I hate to break it to y'all. It's no apocalypse now. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, yeah. Anyway, take the joke. Um. <laughs> the, <laughs> The, oh no! I, I I really just alluded to this, but to me at least, and TJ, you can you can say that I'm wrong and explain why, but I'm always right. The movie works better to me as individual parts than as a whole. It, it, it when you look at the film from left to right, from beginning to end, there are significant. To me, there are breaks in the film that ruin the continuality, the continuation of the plot, and doesn't necessarily take you away from the experience, but it is still present, and I consider that a negative because it does kind of hamper, I would say, the build-up to the the final moments in the film. And then, um, the other thing I'll mention too with the ending which I won't give any spoilers away either. And then, of course, you can uh, say what you think of what, of what I just what I'm saying here. It is definitely abrupt, and I think from a certain perspective that works really well. But then, from another perspective, it kind of just comes out of nowhere and kind of leaves you um, hanging in a sense, almost in not necessarily the best way. I I think I understand what he was going for with that, but I, I think it can also be interpreted in a negative light in the sense that it just kind of, you felt like it should have been built up more or maybe crescendoed or decrescendoed a little more. And 
it really uh, didn't. I don't know. What are your thoughts, TJ, on, on what I just said? Am I am I psycho? Um, <laughs> I, I I honestly don't mind it that much. Um, I'm I, I I mean I feel like a lot of movies like that kind of have that. Uh, at least like movies from like that kind of director have like very abrupt endings. I feel like at least that, that's a very kind of noticeable thing I've found. Uh, and I feel like everyone, I, I feel like it's a big thing. Just like in general, people have kind of find, found that out. Um, I honestly thought this one did pretty well. I, 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 I like that it just kind of did its thing. I didn't need it to have some big ending. Uh, I like that it was like it, it got well. It started bigger and then it like progressively got like smaller in terms of like um uh, the way that like the like the interaction it like that it feels like it should have for like this big final battle. It's like it's just a one on one duel by a volcano. I think it's really cool. Oh, I agree. I mean, it, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, like, the way it ends, I thought was really cool. I, th- I thought... Um, I think it was just a cool capstone. I think I was just like, I'm here for it. It is definitely a wild ending. And, again, as I mentioned, there are two ways to look at this. And I do agree. I, I focus more on the latter, which is, I, I agree, I do like abrupt endings. They are... Um, they do leave you sometimes kind of confused, but not in a bad way. But nonetheless, there is still, again, multiple sides to this, this, uh, the ending. And I kind of, I kind of was also mentioning that you can look at it the other way, which is it, it was abrupt and maybe should have required a little more, but I understand what you're saying. And for the most part, I do agree. I think for this film, considering how weird it is already and the tone of it, I definitely think I would agree it does work for, for that. But what do you think about the the continue the the progression of the film and what I was talking about with the um kind of minor hiccups and and the and the it felt more individual individual sections as opposed to one whole film. Yeah, I I I, I think that has a like a, a truth to it. Um I think yeah, as a whole, I don't think it's as well-rounded as I think I kind of mentioned this earlier as uh the white house and the witch, but it, it, it uh, cause those have like, they're very small and, uh, they're, they're a lot, they, they just feel more well-rounded in the end and like pacing and just like everything coming together. I'm not saying that this is bad in that sense. Cause it's still pretty good. Right. Uh, but yeah, it does kind of have that hiccup between parts where it's just like, some sections are like feel detrimentally slower than others. Right. And I was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. I, it felt like some of them were just like being slower to be slower. So right. I kind of pat out time and I was just like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> the last thing I'll mention too, while we're on the subject of just kind of plot in general and the, and the progression of the plot and this kind of, corresponds with what we're just talking about there were times and maybe this was me just being me 
where I felt like the film wanted to be a full-on epic, but didn't quite reach that level. I, I, I And maybe it was the cinematography that kind of hinted at this, and my correlation with it with Lawrence of Arabia. Maybe that's coming into the mix. But I definitely got that feeling where it was kind of teasing the audience, saying, oh, it's it's going to be this this crazy epic, but really didn't quite reach those those heights. At least the elements that make up uh, your, your standard epic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it mostly has that feel like towards the beginning where, um, it, it, it starts out, it has this very epic feel to it. Um, and then it slowly kind of transitions into something smaller. Um, I think it has some growing pains in there, but I think once it starts to kind of figure itself out more, it works. Um, at least for what I saw, I no, I, I know I I, I um I I agree with that. I, I I like your your analogy there, your reference there with the talking about the growing pains. I agree. I think that's a perfect way to to explain that. Uh, but yeah, I think I think for the most part, it was like. It knew what it was going for, but it, it does kind of have that moment where it's like, sometimes it wants to be a little bigger than it actually is. Agreed. My last thought on this film is like everything, everywhere, all at once, this should go up for a Best Picture nomination. It seems like I'm handing them out left and right at this point, but it is it is an attestment. And at this point, they do anyway, so... <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> You're not wrong necessarily. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Considering we're only, true. it is kind of true. Considering we are only four months into the year, but I do yeah, I, think I, that this film, and we had this. I think we literally were talking about this yesterday or on a conversation. This film, Northman, everything, everywhere, all at once, and the Batman, in my in my opinion, should all are all worthy of any year of the best picture of a best picture nomination. Not necessarily winning it, but they definitely all deserve to be nominated for best picture. Yeah, I think as of now, I think they're the third. I think like if you had to pick three so far for the first like quarterish of the year, I think those are the ones to pick. I think. Um. Because you have like, I, I I think it's just a well-rounded selection so far, and I don't think anything has really touched those so far in terms of like being as good. No doubt, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens later on in the year. At least with some of these bigger films that are coming up, it looks like nothing will be touching these three for a while it seems i could be wrong i could be yeah. missing something but now we're story we have jurassic world dominion top gun maverick which no offense to those films but at least from their reputations it's not going to be some best picture winner or best picture nomination they'll get oscars i assume in some category you know effects or sound design sound design i bet i honestly i'd put money down that top gun maverick's going to go up for sound design and possibly win it could go up for original song too, because apparently Lady Gaga is doing a, a song for Top Gun Maverick. I don't know. We'll see. Interesting. 
I, I and we both, I believe, TJ had the same top three, just in a different order. Your are your top three films of the year so far? Not in any order, but are they the Northman, the Batman, and everything everywhere all at once? Are those your th- yeah? Okay, same. Yeah. What what He's order do you have them in? I'm just curious. Um, I'm still trying to figure out where I put the Northman. Okay. Uh, but right now I have everything everywhere at one, and I have um the Batman at two. Uh, maybe Northman at, or did I say Batman at two? Yeah, you said Batman at two. Yeah, Batman at two. Okay. Yeah, maybe Northman at two, maybe, maybe at three. I, those two are kind of battling it out in my mind for second and third. I had that, I had that same thing for a while. I actually had, so I had, for a while I had the Northman one, Batman two, the Batman two, everything, everywhere, all at once, three, and then I switched it, I flipped Batman and in the Northman. Northman. Yeah, so the, so it's ba- the Batman's number one, the Northman's number two, everything, everywhere, all at once is three, and I don't know what else, what else is past that, but... Uh, yeah, I think... I think past that is, like, fresh and comparable way to massive talent for me. <laughs> I think I that think rounds out my five. My third one might be low-key Uncharted. I, or no, it's unbearable way to massive talent. It's unbearable way to massive talent... And I can't remember. Uh, I don't want to go through our whole. Actually, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> let's see. Let's see what. While we're here, insert elevator music, please. No, just kidding. I have a massive talent for Uncharted Five, the Adam, the Adam Project Six, Father Stew Seven, Ambulance Eight, Death on the Nile Nine. Morbius 10, and The Bubble 11. Because we all know The Bubble should be the one that goes up for Best Picture. Yeah. Yeah, I have Fresh at 4, Massive Talent at 5, Uncharted 6, Scream 7, Morbius 8. Nice. Well, actually... I might move Scream up, because Scream is pretty good. (laughs) Dude, I forgot. Morbius should go up for Best Picture and win it. Duh. Morbius is making $10 trillion, don't you know? Dude, all the memes that have come out of, about of, Morbius? of the Morbius movie, about, about uh, the, the successful memes of it, it's are so funny. premium. <laughs> it's abs- I love it. It's so funny. Uh, well, anyway, we hope you all enjoyed our discussion on these three original films and recent films that have come out in the last, what, two weeks? Or three weeks, because every because everything everywhere all at once had came out at least a week before the Northmen and the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It was at least a week. Uh, it came earlier. out at the beginning of the month. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> recent films we are we yes. are talking about here, and two very recent films we are talking about, and we hope you enjoyed it. I had a fun time. I know TJ TJ definitely obviously didn't have a fun time. Obviously, right, TJ? <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> Uh yeah we again I don't know next week we keep saying uh, it's this I get maybe this is a running joke that every week we say we're gonna talk about that David Lynch film <laughs> the following episode and then we don't maybe we just keep that as a running uh gag but I don't oh, know no. we don't know what we're talking yeah, we'll about figure something out. we'll figure out something definitely the next episode will include something about Doctor Strange though because that is coming out the and Moon Knight. The new Doctor Strange. TJ, you're seeing it on Friday, correct? Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing it on Saturday. We will talk about that in, on at least part of an episode. 
we'll again i don't know what we'll do we'll maybe announce it on our instagram manic movie misfits pod be sure to follow that i don't have anything else tj is there anything that you would like to say before we close things out here no i'm pretty tapped sweet all right for that guy over there say your name Hmm? oh trevor chick (laughs) and for me john phillips Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on another episode of the Manic Movie Misfits podcast. Peace. All right. Adios.